Good morning, church. Um, it is so great to be with you. I have, I have honestly been excited about being back in this room with you all week. I was so excited about Vision Sunday. I feel like there was a tangible excitement in the room and I couldn't wait to get back here this week. And so um, I have the pleasure of bringing the word this morning in the first series, in the first series of the year called Jesus is King. And, uh, and we have deliberately done this series, Jesus is King, straight after the Jesus way because we wanted to make sure from the very outset that no one was mistaken that if you did the Jesus things and the Jesus practices that you think that that brings about salvation. We didn't want anyone to be mistaken that there is only one way to salvation and it's through surrender to Jesus Christ. The Jesus way comes after the surrender, but you accept the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. And so that is what we'll be focusing on for the next three weeks, making sure people are aware that it is about a change of kingdom, not just a change of behaviour. So today we, bring, we, uh, we start our series with a parable, two in fact. Um, they're such short parables that they can be easily missed or skipped over in the passage of teaching that Jesus is giving in the book of Matthew. However, um, it comes to us, um, he's talking to us about the kingdom of heaven and for those of us in this room who believe that they are part of the kingdom of heaven, surely it would be um, good for us to pay attention when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. That's a good thing to pay attention to. Uh, and if you're in, in the room and this is the first time you're hearing that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, sounds kind of daunting, but if there is a kingdom and a king, and a whole other reality that a lot of people in this room believe they live in and they, they believe in it, um, it would be good for you to pay attention to because it's always good to know what kind of crazy you're dealing with, you know? It's good. Just good to be aware. So um, today's message will be broken into three parts. It's into a parable, a warning, and a promise. And if you are ready, church, I am ready to uh, speak the word this morning. We are going to Matthew 13, 44. The scripture will be on the screen. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two very quick parables there. Blink and you miss it. Some context for this. At the time that Jesus was teaching this, uh, it was not unusual for people to bury their treasure. Uh, money was not the commodity it is today, and there were no banks who would pay you interest to store your treasure there. And so a reasonable alternative would be to bury your treasure in the field um, that you owned. Now, um, you might be thinking, well, why would you just leave it there? Uh, but Anything from ranging from political exile, war, plague, a tragic death could mean that the owner of the treasure is wiped out and they can't return because um, they can't return to their homeland. They're either um, kaput or they haven't actually um, passed on the known location to somebody else. And so their treasure lies dormant. Um, so 
Jesus, the people listening to Jesus would have understood this. You and I, we think found treasure, that's pretty um, exceptional, but them, it was kind of, they understood what he was getting at. The second parable depicts a man who knows what he's looking for. So the first man stumbled across this, the second man was actually searching it out. Uh, He was a pearl merchant and he understood the worth of pearls as that was his business. And the merchant has found one pearl that is of great value. Now, again, unlike today, pearls and jewels were of much greater value than we even, uh, we even, uh, we even give them today. Um, there was, at this time, said to be one pearl that was worth $4 billion. $4 billion. Um, I think we'd be hard-pressed to find one pearl today that would be even near that. Uh, but So the listeners knew that this was of great value. This was of great value. And so we have these two stories back to back and something has been found that is so great that both men think it's the reasonable thing to do to go and sell absolutely everything. Now that's a lot of stuff. Think about if you had to sell everything. The car dad gave you, the house, uh, the record collection, absolutely everything had to go. Now, one thing that these parables are not, before we get into it a little more, these parables are not saying you can buy your way into the kingdom. That is not what this is saying. Rather, these parables are an image of surrender. They paint the picture of what it looks like when someone's heart has become illumined to the goodness of Jesus. So what does this parable teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Firstly, it teaches us this. The kingdom requires surrender. The kingdom requires surrender. There's no halfway way into the kingdom. There is no just incremental kind of coming. There is the gospel comes in power or nothing at all. Tim Keller, renowned author and Bible teacher, says that when it comes to the gospel, our ambitions and our admissions are far too small. Meaning this. We, when we first come to the gospel, we can, uh, we can come maybe admitting we need something. We know we're in need. We, we need a little bit. Uh, maybe there's a difficult season in life and, God, oh, I just need a little bit of strength. Um, I've got uni exams coming up. Could you just get me through? And we admit a little weakness and expect a little help. But the gospel is far more radical than we could ever expect. The gospel won't let us stay content in the knowledge that we are sufferers in need. It reveals that we are sinners in desperate need of saving. For if we have truly seen the great treasure, the pearl of great worth, we realize that our hearts are far sicker than we dare ever believe and we're in need of a saviour than we have ever dared admit. The gospel will not let us just believe we're sufferers in need. We are sinners in need of saving. You see, the man in the field did not just find the treasure and think, great, I'll take a little bit of this, that will cover groceries today, and when I run out, I'll come back and get a little more. Mm. He found a treasure so great that when he realized what it was, everything that he had found of worth before was counted as absolutely nothing. He held nothing back. 
And Christianity is not a try a little bit harder, get a little bit better kind of religion. The gospel comes and says that everything must go. Everything that you held dear before, everything, sell it all, it all has to go. And to us, it sounds like drastically bad news. Everything, everything must go. But we see in this parable, on the other hand, both men in the story sacrifice all that they have in joy. They don't sacrifice and then get joy. They sacrifice in their joy because of what they have found. On the other side of what could seem terrible news for you and I, that everything that we once held dear must leave, it must go, is this promise that no eye has seen and no ear has heard what no human mind has conceived, that the things of God has prepared for those who love him. Matthew France in New Bible Commentary says this, There's something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. It's the only proper response. The gospel is good news because whatever we seem to give up, it seems like a bargain for what has been found. The second thing that this parable teaches us is this, that uh, surrender requires a change of authority. So firstly, it teaches us um, that... Let me get it right because some people are taking notes. I don't want to mix, mix you up. The kingdom requires surrender. Secondly, surrender requires a change of authority. Now, we don't like this kind of talk in culture. Mm-mm, I don't like it either. This is not our Western way to talk about coming under authority, submitting, submission. We're, we're not really into it. Um, but the kingdom of heaven means being willing to sacrifice everything that goes against your new king. Have you ever been in a situation, perhaps maybe in work, and there's a change of leadership? Um, There's a new boss, um, and they've come in, and they're casting the vision, and they're telling the teams, they're getting rallied and getting excited, but somehow the old boss is still always around, um, and and they're in in their um, work meeting, and they're talking about what's happening, and that old familiar voice of the boss from the back of the room goes, oh, we don't do it like that. That doesn't fit with our branding, like that annoying of we've never done it like that or whatnot. Um, And this can be like us to Jesus when he's trying to take the reins of our life. There's going to be time and time again when we surrender um, and a change of authority that we're going to want to shout out to Jesus and say, I don't do it like that. I've never done it like that before. I, I don't give up my weekends to serve the Lord. I've got control of my finances. I don't pray. I don't need that. I don't, you fill in the blank. I don't do it like that. But A.W. Tozer says this. The reason why, why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. You see, a change of authority, there's going to be some things that don't sit well with us. For example, I don't like some things in the Bible. And if you don't not like some things in the Bible, you're not reading it. There are just some things that just rub you the wrong way and you just think, I just wish, I wish that wasn't in there. Why did they have to be in there, Lord? 
But if I begin to pick and choose what I like from the Bible and eliminate the parts that I don't like, that is not surrender. Let me say it like this. Anything less than full surrender is like cherry-picking principles that are affirming of your past experiences and compatible with your future preferences. That is not surrender, that is compromise. James Bryan Smith says it like this, if we insist on maintaining our power and our control, we cannot enter the kingdom. The kingdom requires submission. I used to have a pastor growing up and he always used to say, um, submission doesn't begin until you disagree. Before that, you're just in agreement. So if Jesus was just a philosophy, then changing our minds a degree or two in one direction towards him would be enough. But he's not a philosophy, he's a king. And he has not come to change our minds, but to save our hearts. And what this parable is teaching us is that the kingdom of heaven requires our surrender. It is a sell it all. It will cost everything style of surrender. But all that is given up is counted as nothing to what is gained. And you might hear this today and think, Jess, that sounds so harsh. Surely just give people a little bit of uh, just getting used to it. It would be wrong of me to tell you anything different. That the kingdom of heaven is a change of authority. Yes, you might take a while to get to that point, but it is a point of transformation and salvation is instantaneous in that moment and your transformation might take a lifetime walking it out with Jesus. But there is no halfway way into the kingdom. It is Jesus or nothing. That's the parable. That's the parable. Next part, a warning. Or the more palatable version, an invitation. An invitation. Write whatever you want. All right. A few, week back, a few weeks back during the service, um, I felt a stirring in my heart that God was calling his people back to a place of repentance. And if you were here, I was leading the meeting and I spoke really briefly about it at the end of the service. But that stirring is still there. And I've continued to sense that call for our church. The best way I can describe it is he is calling his people back to a place of fidelity to him and that we would once again stir up the first love that we had for him. Now, continually in Matthew 13, as we see Jesus preaching, he says this line, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And so here is a 2,000-year-old invitation to you this morning. If you have ears, hear this. My question is, after seeing Jesus' example of the kingdom of heaven in these parables, do you recognize that kind of surrender in your life? Do you recognize that kind of surrender in your life? Or when you search your heart, there is more a mediocre commitment, a half-hearted surrender or an apathetic approach to the things of God. I believe one of the greatest attacks on the church today is apathy, that we would just not care. We just wouldn't care if he shows up. Satan's big plan for you is not that you would deconstruct your, deconstruct your faith and write a big blog about it, post about it on Instagram. His most effective plan for us is that we would become so apathetic about our faith that he wouldn't even have to bother with us. 
And how does this happen? We allow idols in our lives. And it is so subtle. Ezekiel 14 says that it's in our hearts we set up idols. It's hard to spot. What are idols? They're not the little Buddha that someone puts in the garden. Um, It's anything and everything that takes the place, time, fidelity, and affection that is owed to our king. It might be as simple as a mindset, a desire, a habit, a relationship, a standard or quality of life that we must have, a job title, a reputation, a salary amount, you fill in the blank. It could be anything taking the place of our king. And idolatry, idolatry is found deep in the heart and sometimes we don't even know it's there until the circumstances are right to reveal it. That is why we are told all the time, search my heart, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. Make sure there is nothing found within me that is displeasing to you. In Matthew 15, the words say, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How do we get there? We're idols. We can say Jesus at the centre, but our hearts are far from him. John Piper says it like this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. The greatest adversary to love, to, of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the sim- simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognisable and almost incurable. Whew. Let us not be fooled into thinking that the good things God has given us cannot become idols or stumbling blocks in our heart to our surrender to him. So this is the invitation, Christian, that there is a banquet set before us. And for those who do not believe yet in Jesus Christ, there is a banquet set for you too. It's one of great treasure, worth selling everything Will we be found feasting there or have we spoiled our appetite at the table of the world? So that's it. That's the short warning. We're good? It's against apathy. It's against idols. But there is a promise. The sneaky thing about idols is that they want you to believe when you give them up, you will miss out. That they want you to believe that without this, your life will have not as much value, not as much joy, not as much um, importance, that there is something you will miss out on if you give them up. And the truth could not be further from that. You see, these men found the great treasure. They did not have one thing that they thought was worth keeping back once they saw it. Once they saw that great treasure, there was nothing in their life that they were like, could I just keep... I'm just going to keep everything else but this little thing Grandma gave it to me. I'm going to keep that. No, it was, it was everything. Everything was worth giving up for this great treasure that they had found. And the joy was there before the treasure even belonged to them. 
It was just the sight of it that sent them running to give up everything. Just the possibility that it existed was enough to fill them with joy. And whether you are searching for that great treasure like the pearl merchant or you kind of just stumbled in here and you're stumbling across the message of Jesus today, in both situations, it issues the same response. There is great joy when the treasure of Jesus is found. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Do not be fooled by the idols that are saying you will miss out. This is what we must remember. Who forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Jesus is not here to ruin your life. He's here to give you life. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uses this example. Imagine yourself as a living house. We can do that now if if you want. Um, God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. Why? He intends to come and live in it himself. The promise, friends, is that Jesus does not require your surrender to to just take all that you had before. No, he intends to make you into something entirely different. He has plans that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind could comprehend. He is not just coming to renovate. He is coming to build himself a palace within you. He intends to take you from glory to glory. To, to, he intends to bring heaven to earth through you. There is no equal transaction here. What we bring him is like filthy rags for what we get into exchange for Jesus. Church, when we surrender, we don't miss out. We enter in. We do not miss out. We enter in. Timothy Keller says this, becoming a Christian is not a change of degree, but a change in kind. It is leaving your native home and entering the kingdom of God. But entering the kingdom of God means being willing to sacrifice everything that goes against your new king. In other words, the kingdom of God will cost you everything you have. But is it expensive? Not at all. It's a bargain. As we conclude today and the band can come, My sincere prayer is that this place would be turned into an altar of repentance. That there would be a move of the Holy Spirit in our hearts so powerful that every idol would be burnt up in his presence. That we would see the treasure, the pearl of great price, and be compelled to sell it all. And that we would know afresh the all-sufficiency and the dazzling splendor of our King Jesus. 
I'll finish with this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Amen.